0: hey this is charles Bant from full moon and you're listening to the horror squad podcast
1: hey everyone welcome back to the horror squad podcast tonight we are featuring a tribute To the legendary director, Stuart Gordon, who we teased last week we're going to do an episode on. He passed away recently. Um, Stay tuned, though, guys, because we have a huge guest for you guys, Mr. Full Moon Pictures himself, Mr. Charles Band. Uh, Steve and Joe did the interview this morning or this afternoon, actually. And, I mean, just stay tuned and listen to it. He's got a lot of good information, really cool guest. So we can't wait for you guys to hear it. Once again, it's just me, uh, Joe, and Steve. Sam's at work. So we miss her. Um... Coronavirus still going strong, but like we said last time, we're going to skip talking about that because that's AL, that's in the news right now.
2: What you guys doing? I'm sitting in my closet.
1: Joe is <laughs> <laughs> banished to the closet because Sam's working right now.
2: Exactly. She's doing a live stream too, so um, if I sound a little different tonight, that's because I'm recording to you from the closet. So hopefully the audio quality is alright in here. And he
1: eventually will come out of the closet
2: exactly <laughs>
1: that one's too easy i had to do that one. <laughs> yeah
2: it was it was a layup you know it was a layup i threw it off there and you slam dunked it
1: i got it thank you alley oop what's up with you steve what you've been doing lately how you how you staying sane?
3: uh just working a lot and uh playing video games and watching a shit ton of movies i don't think i've ever prepared more for a podcast than this one watched 12 Stuart gordon projects in five days so it was a good time, and I'm also watching a lot of TV. I watch Us, I watch Tiger King, I've started in Mindhunter, so keeping busy for sure. And uh, trying out some Space Invader IPA today as my beer of the week, so doing good. How's it taste? I haven't tried it yet. Oh,
2: all right. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll need an update for sure. Let's, hear, yeah, that, I, let's I, hear that first sip real
1: quick.
3: <laughs> I'll pop that bad boy open. Let's see if it comes off. Oh, a yeah. hey. little sippy. <laughs> <laughs> a little fruity, this one. Fruity. Oh, okay.
2: A little bit, yeah. Nice. Very good. Yeah, I too um, am super prepared for this episode. I, I guess I didn't realize, I've really only ever saw maybe like three Stuart Gordon movies. So yeah, I watched a ton myself and I actually rewatched all the ones I did watch. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about uh, his film career. Very nice.
1: Yeah, I only ended up watching two. One was a fresh watch, um, which we'll get to. And then I rewatched Dagon, or Dagon, whatever you want to pronounce it again, because I hadn't seen that one in quite a while. So I'm good. So we getting right into it?
2: Um, I guess, well, you want to do horror? We got no questions this week, so I guess we're, we'll do horror news, and then we can get into the Stuart Gordon. Sure. All righty. Uh, yeah, so no questions this week. Um, so, Steve, sorry, you're out of a job this week. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, you know, if you want to send in your questions, don't forget uh, the Squad Podcast at gmail.com or follow us on our social medias uh, the Harsquad Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us all on there. Um, so, yeah, if you do like the question segment, send them in because if you don't send them in, you have tonight where we didn't get any so we don't get anything for you
3: uh but all right let's get actually into... Joe. what oh before before you get into it i we did have one uh kind of request that we got last week um so this one comes from jedi Mine 1207 he sent me a dm about this he's like make sure todd tells his surveillance toy story so <laughs> yeah, I,
1: i'd love to hear this <laughs> all right well i'm not as good a as storyteller steve here um with his various farm ladies. Uh, however, me and Jedi Mind used to work at retail loss prevention, you know, where you, you know, arrest shoplifters and stuff like that. Most of it was just like, you know, teenagers, still iPods, or i not even iPods, freaking earbuds that were like 10 bucks. Uh, but anyway, one day we were looking around uh, cameras and we came across a young couple, a young boy, girl, maybe 14, 15 years old. You were watching them, um, they're in the toy section, like, oh, they're gonna steal, let's get ready to go get them. And then this 14 year old male bends this 13 year old girl over and starts railing her doggy style in the middle of the toy section with a bunch of kids just around the corner. Uh, so I run up there obviously cause it's like fucking weird and like bust him mid thrust. Um, you see his freaking boner and everything <laughs> and, um, end up apprehending both of them and calling the mall police officer and calling their parents and it turned into a giant fiasco. But, um, yeah, that's my freaking Toy Story bonathon. <laughs> there you go.
3: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why Toy Story? Like, come on, guys.
1: I don't know. They they could have gone in the fitting room, the bathroom. I actually, I don't know if Jedi Mind was there for this one, but I was watching a male and a female, like a suspicious couple, older, and they went into the upper bathroom. And i like, oh, fuck, like they must be doing something in there. Um, cause they had some product and, uh, I went in there and snuck around and then I looked underneath the stall and <laughs> this guy, man, was on all fours in the handicap stall. And if there's any squeamish viewers or kids listening, please stop. This is also adult show. So you shouldn't be listening anyway. Um, but the girl had her pants off and she was sitting on the, uh, handicap stall shitter and the guy was going to town, going downtown on her, um, <laughs> And uh, lapping it up, and uh, we're like, I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of here! And he got up, and he, he wiped his face, and uh, they both left like it was nothing. Um, so that was gross.
3: Oh my gosh! That's I, I, I
1: I can't imagine ever doing anything in a public restroom, let alone sitting with your junk out and uh, with your chin essentially and your mouth over the open toilet, going down on a girl. I just, I was
2: disgusting. Hey. Sometimes you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. I don't. I'm not sure (laughs) about that one. On
1: that on that particular case, well, Joe's probably done it. Little sick bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are. uh, There's so many stories from retail. It's like ridiculous. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, as soon as you work with people, you get interesting friggin' stories, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, people are just weird. Like they they always surprise you at how weird they get. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and um, especially when you have
3: like a job where they don't know you're watching
1: and like when you think no one's watching you, there's always someone watching you. So like when I got into that position, I remember when I was a kid doing weird stuff, I'm like, Oh man, like guaranteed someone was watching me do that back in the day and uh, Mm a whole load of embarrassment comes on. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of weird stuff, man. There's a gentleman one time um, that was walking around the, the, um, the store masturbating. And uh, full on boner and looking at girls and like peering at them and it was just like one of those like predator stories you hear online or on the news and you just like just walk around tricking off, and um, yeah, it's just super fucking weird, man.
3: Yeah, I've had to deal with people like that too, so it's, yeah. it's, it's it's weird, it's awful, it's just like and it's you don't know what to say, like you know you go up there and you're like, did you suck your dick? <laughs> yeah, just, I I know. I never had too many weird
2: things happen when I worked. Like, I never really worked retail, but I worked at the supermarket. So I guess that's, like, the closest thing. Yeah, you're the meat um, man. You're underage.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And so and ever since i become an electrician, I am commer- I work commercial, so I really don't deal with customers or anything. But when I worked at the supermarket one time, uh, someone, like, uh, shit their pants, and they just kept shopping. And, like, literally the shit just went, like, up and down the aisles and so. and i'll never forget that and it was just they they were asked like everyone in the store to clean it and everyone refused so then like the manager had to clean it
1: (laughs) that's funny that you mentioned that because uh me and jedi mine one time were forced to clean and we swear to this day that somehow bigfoot snuck into the marina valley mall (laughs) and took a shit in one of our men's stalls because you can all picture a toilet this turd was all the way in the actual hole that flushes it and so big that it came to the rim of the toilet, and what's was protruding out like a freaking uh-huh. subway twelve-inch. We're like, and we just like stared in awe how this thing would have come out of someone's butt, it, like it would have torn apart. And it, <laughs> so we'd still like just text like, "Hey, remember Bigfoot?" And man,
2: wow, wow. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> really yeah. got off the rails here. <laughs> All right, any other horror news? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um one actually I had one more thing uh our fan Ryan over on Twitter um said he wanted you to know Todd he didn't realize you lived in Kentucky cuz he lives uh about 2 hours from Cincinnati So oh, really? Yeah so maybe you guys could uh, do a little meetup sometime or something
1: Rise Horror corner I mean we talk on Instagram man since as as you hear this send me a message I'm uh, like 25 30 minutes out of Cincinnati Hit me up Yeah
2: Ugh, they're so disgusting. Uh, all right, so let's get into some horror news before we get into uh, Stuart Gordon tonight. Um, first bit of news is, I guess let's jump right into um, the big thing here, and that is the Train to Busan present, Presents Peninsula trailer uh, dropped today. Um, so I think we all watched it. So what were you guys take on it?
1: I stopped watching it because I was really into it, and I didn't want to get, yeah. like, you know, ruined. But it, I think it looks pretty cool. I do think that having trained to Busan presents is kind of a funky title. Right. Um, but I still think it looks pretty badass.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it, it looked freaking good. Just, like, balls-to-the-wall action, crazy, uh, you know, everything in there. Uh, the one thing is, like, to, when I see... I think trained to Busan, I think more of, like, the father-daughter story like a smaller right. story within a big world and i'm a little afraid that if they open up the world a little too big it might lose like its charm from the first one but it looks fucking awesome anyway so can't wait
2: yeah totally agree with both you guys it looks like just like balls to the wall action-packed um Looks like a, it's gonna be a really fun time, and I but I and I totally agree with you too, Steve. Um, at the same time, I, I hope that they at least have like a good story surrounding it because that's what made Train to Busan so good with the father daughter element. So uh, hopefully they do that. It's not just like all action because obviously like all action's great and all, but I mean the story's important too there. So hopefully uh, they do something with that.
1: Yeah, it kind of looks like the spiritual successor to the Dawn of the Dead remake. Mhm. So,
2: like, yeah, I always wanted absolutely. them to
1: do that, and they never did.
2: Yeah. I, I actually got some Land of the Dead vibes, too, while watching um the trailer a little bit with, like, the post-apocalyptic, like, city.
3: Yeah, Dead Reckoning running and around. medical. the truck cool. yeah. and everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh,
2: yeah. So, um, I'm not sure when, actually, I'm not sure when that's getting released, and I don't know if that's going to get, I doubt it's going to get a theater release, obviously, in America, but I'm sure it will be coming to VOD sometime this year.
1: I saw the the posters in my theater before everything really? shut down, so, I mean, who knows if it will get released this year at all.
2: Okay. Alright, well, we'll keep you updated on here. Um, Alright, next bit of news is... Um, We got a re-release date for A Quiet Place Part 2, as long as, you know, everything goes back to normal here within the next, you know, few months. uh, They are planning to release it on September 4th, which is also Labor Day weekend, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we will get A Quiet Place 2 on Labor Day weekend. Uh, all right, next bit of news is uh Nosferatu. Did you guys enjoy that season one? Season one, I didn't,
3: don't think I didn't watched watch any. It. No. I, I, I did, I, it was like not great, not bad. It was like kind of a middle show for me.
2: Yeah, I overall I liked it. I thought it started um kind of slow, but then it kind of picked up towards the end. Um, well, um, AMC announced today that um. Nosferatu will be returning for its second season this coming June. Um, It will premiere on Monday, June 1st at 10 p.m. So if you were a fan, uh, season two will be coming to you very soon. Um, Next bit of news, uh, Gretel and Hansel, of course, uh, which released earlier this year, will be getting a digital release uh, in April. And then it will be hitting Blu-ray on may 5th so april 7th for digital and blu-ray for may 5th uh for gretel and hansel um i saw it i personally really liked it um maybe something we'll do for the show we'll see what todd and steve thinks um down the road but yeah i mean with all of these things getting delayed um it might kind of limit our choices for movies to do as far as new releases go anyway so maybe definitely one to do as that will be yeah so april 7th digital for that one Uh, next bit of news, uh, oh, this one's really cool, actually. We are getting an officially licensed board game for Friday the 13th. Um, the game is going to be called Horror at Camp Crystal Lake, um, in this anxiety-driven pressure-luck horror game, players take on the roles of cliche camp counselors like the stereotypical nerd, the partier, the nice guy, the final girl, the diva, and the jock. As they must rely on chance and strategy to survive five nights being terrorized by bloodthirsty Jason. Um, it is going to um, so a whole. It's going to be a whole big game here. Uh, the retail price is going to be twenty nine ninety nine, and we'll be releasing. Uh, it just says this summer. There's no official release date, but keep an eye on it. This summer sounds like a fun time
1: yeah i want to get that sounds good good
2: price yeah it is definitely there's a i'll i'll link you todd and uh for the listeners like uh you know maybe we can start linking like stuff like cool stuff like that just to kind of keep you guys in the loop or you know or just message us on our social medias and we can link it but i'm sure you know with google these days you can just probably google it and find it um all right this one for steve here i know he steve you still do you still read like new stephen king are you a fan of like new stephen king
3: Uh, My wife does. Uh, I don't read as much, but she definitely tells me about it.
2: Okay, well, I'm sure you probably are already aware of this, but Stephen King's new book, If It Bleeds, is now being released early in April rather than May. Obviously, like a really smart idea, considering everyone's kind of stuck at home right now looking for stuff to do. So um, his book will now release on April uh, 28th. Uh, if it bleeds... We can kill it. I'm not it. really too sure what it's about, but maybe predator? Steve does. What's that you what say? If it bleeds, we can kill it?
1: Yeah, maybe Predator?
2: Predator, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> well, the
3: cover has a I black don't know. cap. This one's bad. Uh,
2: alright. Uh, next bit of news. Oh, this is a really good one, because I know a lot of people have been wondering about this. Uh, myself, and I know Todd included... Um, and now Steve probably since he just watched it, but, uh, an update on creep three, uh, you know, it's been a couple years now. Anyway, since creep two has been released, everyone's just kind of been wondering what's been happening with creep three. Well, uh, Mark Duplass recently did an interview and, uh, apparently they're struggling right now, um, with creep three. Um, so in the interview, uh, I'll quote him here, uh, he said we had to almost kill ourselves to make Creep 2 as good as it was. I appreciate how many people liked it, but I do feel like it wasn't as good as it could have been. If I'm being perfectly, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, he then went on to say, if we're going to make a third one, it it better be super inspired. We are trying and we are putting every effort into it, but we are not good enough yet to make it worthwhile. So we are struggling. Uh, he said we've written it twice and neither of those stories are good enough. So, uh, I guess so bad a little bit of bad news there, but I mean, at least they're being honest. and I'm glad that they're not just kind of like forcing something out there and they're trying to do something creative with it.
1: I thought he had a deal with Netflix, though, to make like three or four movies.
2: Uh, he did. and but apparently, like he, I mean, he may I don't know if there might not be like a set time to have mm. to put him out or whatever. So it looks like he's yes. just taking his time with Creep three.
1: Because they're not, like, anywhere near a big budget. So I'm wondering what the... I guess he's just not happy with the story or he can't get the story made with the money. I'm not sure. Huh.
2: Yeah, it just seems like they're just not clicking creatively right now with the writing process. So, no. Yeah. So, might be a little bit longer wait for Creep 3, but, it. I mean, it does sound like they, they definitely want to do it. So we will see soon. Um, in other big news, of course... um ghostbusters afterlife has been pushed completely off the schedule this year it is now planned to um, be released uh next year 2021 uh so that is a big bummer obviously yeah
3: just let (laughs) him do your thing man (laughs)
2: yeah
3: you're right though it's i i think we're gonna see this more and more with movies being pushed to 2021 because there's so much uncertainty and movies don't want to push it twice so it's a bummer i think we're gonna get uh this is going to happen a lot. Morbius did, too, if people are interested. Mm. It's kind of a horror-ish uh, Marvel film. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Vampires. Sucks. Yeah. All
1: right. Hopefully they make it dark.
3: Yeah. Did you see the trailer?
2: Uh, I did, yeah.
3: Yeah, it looks pretty dark. So, we'll see, yeah. we'll see how it
2: does. Yep. Uh, All right, well, if you are looking for something to watch while you're stuck at home, they just announced Brahms, The Boy 2, is getting a premium VOD release um, this Friday, which is today, April 3rd. It is going to be uh, available for $9.99, so a little cheaper than the $20 price point that The Hunt and The Invisible Man just got, probably because The Boy 2 has been out a little longer there. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for something to watch, there you go. Nine ninety nine, not a bad price for something that just came out into the theaters last month. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think any of us have seen it yet, but maybe. Uh, I'll watch maybe. it. Yeah, I mean, for ten dollars, maybe we can all watch it and review it See or something. You think yeah. ten dollars yeah. seems a little steep, personally. Yeah, I mean, I just think they're trying to recoup their money since they all had very limited. data. I feel like the boy that was out for was at least out, a month though. though. Yeah, Yeah, that movie was out before um,
1: Invisible Man, so it just didn't do well because it didn't do well. Right. Nice try, Boy 2.
2: Well, I don't think people were really clamoring for a sequel. I mean, The Boy 1 was, like, mildly successful, but nothing, like, crazy. But it did have a good twist. I'll give it that. Uh, All right a uh, couple more pieces of news here um if you were fans of netflix's series uh v wars or october faction which i didn't see either of them i don't know about you guys but um they have officially been canceled after one season each so yep sorry for those of you who are fans of that show and um oh creep show 2 also has been halted on production, unfortunately, so might not be getting released this October. Obviously, you know, to be expected, a bunch of delays, guys, unfortunately, right now. Um, and also, last bit of news, uh, a rest in peace to, um, uh, if I can but- not butcher this name, uh, Christoph Penderecki. Um, he was a legendary composer who composed the scores for The Exorcist and The Shining. Uh, he was 86 years old, so he lived a long life. Um, but rest in peace to him, obviously, composed some pretty iconic works. And that's it for Har News.
1: I also have a rest in peace. Um, Mark Blum, who was in uh, You, Season 1 and 2. Um, plays the older gentleman when Joe's little, and he like locks him in the the fucking book closet.
3: You guys remember him? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's a bummer. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, anyway, he he pops up every now and then in the show. He died of the coronavirus, actually. So he's out. The rest in peace. Bummer. Yeah. All right, way to bring it down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stuart Gordon yes yes every journey begins in the mind
0: <laughs> a flight of imagination a vision of what might lie across the universe Stuart gordon the director of fortress the pit and the pendulum and reanimator and a master of modern horror they say the castle is home Maria is like an angel.
1: Satan was an angel.
2: You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a side? She show. Was a
3: here, but my family
2: is in danger. Giorgio Dorsino. He was never buried. She kept him alive. He's
1: here somewhere in the castle. I am the ant, you fuckers! Do you hear me?
2: And you're all... dead.
1: We are children of Dagon.
2: It is your destiny. You forget your world and your friends. There will be no time, no today, no yesterday. Only the forever and forever and forever without end.
3: Humans are such
1: easy prey. All right. So we're just going to run through his filmography, guys, from uh, his earliest works to his uh, most recent. And there's one called Bleacher Bums. I don't think any of you guys watched it, right? 1979 TV movie. No. no. All right. So we're gonna hop right into probably his most famous work, <laughs> Reanimator, 1985. And to sum it up, from the you know I'm not gonna sum it up from IMDb. Uh, so basically, there's a doctor, uh, Herbert West, who's played by Mr. Crazy Ass Jeffrey Combs, and he's trying to bring things back to death or back to life, based on H.P. Lovecraft's uh, short story of the same name, which I've read. Have you guys read that before? no no it's nothing like this um basically it's like a, it's very short and they like with i think with all of HP stories like they pull like very loose stuff from them and make movies out of them um so the movie i think is a lot better but uh herbert West trying to bring stuff back to life and he has an apprentice and naturally shit goes a wiry and is that the way you pronounce that word i don't know things go crazy and uh zombies come back to life start killing things so I mean, what do you guys think about? It? It's pretty iconic. Not a lot to say about it b- besides, you know, I really enjoy it.
2: Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I loved this movie. Uh, it's, I mean, I watched the first time I ever saw this was probably in high school, uh, back when I actually I don't know if I I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, me and my friends in high school we had a it's it was kind of like the horror squad podcast, but you know, podcasting wasn't really a thing back then. So we had a thing called the horror committee, where we had a uh, Geo City's website where we reviewed um, horror movies, and this was one of the ones uh, we That's reviewed. Cool. Yeah, I we had hats and everything. Was, <laughs> we went to like the we went to the mall. You remember like the mall had like the embroidery hats where you can yeah. like custom yeah yeah so we had like the like uh the chiller font like with the blood dripping down it said the horror comedian shit We we actually did uh, man i I'll, I'll have to see if i can pull it up uh but i uh we were on uh public access television we, we like got interviewed for like a show and uh, i have it recorded somewhere so maybe i can try to find it and like get it up online or something but uh That's great yeah it was yeah, it was a good time. but this was like one of the first movies like I reviewed for it um back when I was like seventeen, eighteen. So I always had like very, very fond memories of this movie. but I honestly hadn't watched it for probably ten plus years um before this obviously this week and rewatching it. and it still holds up really well. Um, it's still just such a great fun movie. Um, I will say this right now. I think this is probably Stuart Gordon's best movie um, based on everything else I've seen, um, not to say everything else he did was bad or anything like that, because definitely not, I mean, there's still a lot of great movies we're going to talk about to come, but, um, I just think his first movie was definitely his best movie, um, I don't know if it was just the source material or what, I mean, it's just, like, a great, fun story, and, you know, there's good bits of comedy in there, there's good practical effects, good gore, just great everything, and, you know Jeffrey Combs at the lead is great, and even um, what's it's a Bruce Abbott is that um yep is Koga yeah I mean he's great in it as well. And then um, if there's one other thing I've learned while doing this Stuart Gordon retrospective, is that Barbara Crampton was just a certified babe.
1: Dude, she's in like all like all these movies practically. I know. But she's she's amazing in this one, and in the next one we're gonna talk about too. Yep. Yeah,
3: no, I I, I could I agree with everything you guys said uh, one of uh, like, well yeah probably my favorite Stuart Gordon movie I'd say I'd only actually seen two Stuart Gordon mov- movies before we did this uh, so uh, but this one is definitely one of them I remember watching it you know, in college because it's one that would play often on cable here but it wasn't until the last five years that I actually saw with all the gore and nudity because since it was the cable version they cut all that shit out so it's, it's definitely awesome. Uh, adore it. Watch it again, even though I'd seen it multiple times and had just as much fun watching it this time as I have in the past. So, uh, yeah, definitely a great movie and one that, uh, yeah, I, I fondly remember. And one that I watch, I'd say, every, like, three, four years. Yeah, I just enjoy watching this one.
1: Uh, a little round of ratings real quick. I'm going to do this uh, probably an 8.25, probably 8.5, actually, out of 10.
3: I'm
2: right there with you, Todd. Eight and a half. I 10
1: on this one. I agree. Cool. Uh, All right. Next up is 1986 from beyond. Um, This one is basically about, it's got Herbert West or not Herbert West. It's got Jeffrey Combs again and Barbara Crampton. Uh, Jeffrey Combs is a scientist and his partner um, played by Ted Sorrell. They're trying to make like a, it's called the resonator and they're trying to bring like an alternate reality to our reality um, so the theory is that like there's creatures and shit all around us, but we can't see them because we don't see in the same reality as them or realm or whatever the fuck you wanna call it. Um, so they uh, make this thing and it works, and it brings these creatures into it. However, they're evil and they start killing people, and it turns Ted um, Jeffrey Combs' partner into like this fucking great monster. Um, so Jeffrey Combs' character kind of gets blamed um, that he like murdered his partner. And he goes to Insane Asylum and in steps Barbara Crampton, who's a psychiatrist, and she believes him. So she takes him back to the scene of the crime and like they the resonator starts like making them all like turn fucking weird. And it stars one of my favorite fucking guys, Ken Foray from Dawn of the Dead. Mm. He's this detective This he's he's just like a fucking mountain of a man.
0: Yeah. And in this
1: movie he's at his like fucking peak. He's huge, he's fucking he's witty and he's just fucking great. Um amazing practical effects in this movie like top-notch shit really gross out stuff like the the head the snake head thing that comes out of jeffrey combs like really grosses me out every time i see it and uh this is a first time watch for me and i never thought i would see barbara crampton in a freaking g-string but here we go
2: yeah she's in like M gear
1: <laughs> she is yeah <laughs> and um she's a babe combs is great the the villain is like super gross effects are awesome um right up with them and steve i'm so like it sucks you kind not see this you definitely gotta try to like order a copy or something yeah. i think you'll love it um what do you think about it, joe
2: yeah i uh i really enjoyed this one too uh it had been a long time since i'd seen this one um but yeah i mean this one still holds up pretty well as well um not as good as reanimator some of the effects are like they those like computer effects todd they like have oh,
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Are, are pretty are pretty terrible but the practical effects make up for it because like mm-hmm. you said that monster guy um he just he's such an awesome looking uh villain in this and uh yeah the thing that pops out of combs his head is just it's so like gnarly looking and just really cool just yeah great practical effects all around and uh that thing in the basement basically that is the demogorgon like like that they yeah. like, stole that they stole that uh like uh i feel like that was deliberate like like, cause you know how the Buffer uh, Brothers, I think, is their names. I mean, they yeah. love eighties horror movies, and I feel like they definitely—that's like an homage to like, from this movie because because it looks exactly like it. Like when I, when I rewatched it this time, I was like, oh my god, that's that's the demigorgon right there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, great, awesome monsters in this one. Um, not as good as Reanimator. I. I kind of wish like he didn't go back to back on these ones because I feel like they were a little maybe too similar in some ways, but um I same mean, cast still... too, right? Exactly. Um, but still like a really, um, fun uh, movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, not much else to say about it besides, yeah, Ken Forey in his underwear running down the oh, stairs I'll too. About that, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> huge package at one point too. So. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't fuck around, man. No, there's a reason ben he's survived down the dead. I think Barbara Crampton gets naked in pretty much every movie she's in. I Actually, I was going to mention this, too. I think every Stuart Gordon movie has nudity in it. Like, After doing this retrospective, every movie I watched, there was at least one nude scene. <laughs> he, deli- he delivers on boobs and blood. He really does. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right.
1: I forgot about the computer genre. It's 1986 computer graphics. They probably looked amazing back then, but now they're pretty. It's like Jaws 3D level badness with that yeah. stuff. But the rest of the movie I think it makes up for so I think I would give this a solid eight out of ten
2: yeah i'm uh I'm a little lower but not too much. I'm giving this one a, a seven and a half
3: cool you see it Steve All yeah it right. yeah, really sucks i I looked everywhere to find this one and dolls the next one mm. uh, they just were not available anywhere. I could order it online but I wouldn't get it in time so but I will definitely check it out uh, once I can get films again like on Blu-ray and DVD yeah.
1: And uh, for all you American listeners out there, um, I don't know what I was going to say right there.
2: <laughs>
1: no, it's uh oh no no uh from Beyond's on Amazon for three ninety nine or two ninety nine, so not that steep. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth that price.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, and actually, most of his movies are available for free, by the way. Like whether they're on uh, Tubi TV or uh, YouTube or I mean even Netflix and uh, Hulu and stuff like that. It, it, most of his movies are very accessible
1: yep all right 1987's dolls a group of people stop by a mansion during a storm and discover two magical toy makers and their haunted collection of dolls um pretty self-explanatory there's a bunch of different people that meet up in this mansion you got like these punk rock girls that are super annoying uh you got this family with a young child who the story centers around basically and they like neglect them like crazy but i guess it's the 80s i guess it's allowed um but yeah and then these dolls and their sinister shit at work and uh I'll leave it at that, Joe. What do you think?
2: Uh, yeah, so this one was okay to me. I will say, I think this was probably the weakest one I watched out of all of them. But honestly, that's more of a compliment than anything because I still really enjoyed this one. Um, I just feel like it kind of had an identity crisis. Like, it was like half of a kid's movie and then like half of a horror movie like i actually felt like it would have been a really good intro to horror movie but then they put the gore in there so like that kind of takes it out of it but obviously you can see like big time like uh this was kind of like the intro before puppet because this came out before puppet master right i think uh
1: 87 so i think
2: okay because i i mean you could tell definitely like band's hand is kind of charles band's hand is kind of all over this one 89 is uh, puppet master yeah, so this was kind of like the precursor to Puppet Master, kind of them getting the the stop motion effects and whatnot um, done and stuff. But yeah, I mean, over it's still like a, a fun movie, and there's a great like just there's one great scene where um, the girl who's dead like is holding her own eyeballs, kind of like doll, like it's very creepy looking. Um, like the poster, who, most people who probably would know them from the poster. Um, it's really really cool looking. Um, but yeah, like I said, I it. It, it was just okay to me. Um, like you we talked about Todd, the two uh, British girls are just super just annoying in this movie. Terrible. kind of they kind of ruin the movie in, in yes. some ways. Um, the little girl actress is actually like really good in it, and I like the uh, the guy who kind of believes her there that could, they kind of have like a good little good back and forth. But probably like the weirdest part of this whole movie is the dad and stepmom like how abusive they are to the daughter um it's just like so over the top like uh, yeah it's crazy
1: yeah i mirror everything you said there's some cool dolls in it um but it's definitely the weaker version of puppet master for sure yeah um Mm -hmm. i give it like uh maybe six and six point two five or six and a half out of ten
2: yeah i give this one a six out of ten
1: all right Followed up after that in 1988, he made a 30-minute video for kids of how to be safe in emergencies. Uh, oh. So that's probably on YouTube or
2: something. I, I, who knows? I, we might have watched that in school. We wouldn't even know it was Stuart Gordon. <laughs> probably did.
1: That's weird, man. You got three horror movies, and you got that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up's one I've never seen called Robot Jocks, and I'll just read through it real quick. Uh, in a post-World War III war is outlawed, In its place are matches between large robots called Robot Jocks. It kind of sounds like um, Pacific Rim. Um, yeah. these matches take place between two large superpowers over disputed territories the main character is achilles is a pilot and one of the large robots the plot revolves around him and it matched for the state of alaska sounds pretty fucking cool however it's in 1989 so i imagine a lot of bad cgi graphics in this one but never seen it
2: same i've never seen this one i stuck for this retrospective i try to stick mainly to the horror stuff um so i yeah i, I skipped over this one all right.
1: Um, Steve, did you skip this one, too? Uh, this one I did, yeah. Uh, I will did anyone...
2: say it has, it has a 5.4 on IMDb.
3: All right. Moving on. Did anyone watch Daughter of Darkness? I did. Ooh, talk about it. Yeah, so Daughter of Darkness is about a woman whose mother dies, and she wants to see her strange father, so she goes to Romania to find him, and then she gets caught up into all sorts of things, because uh, there are vampires, as she goes to Transylvania in Romania, and turns out her father is a vampire, and brings her into this whole thing where uh, because she's the daughter of a vampire, but also like half-human, half-vampire, the head of a vampire council wants to impregnate her to make a daywalker, a little bit like Blade. And uh, that's kind of what the story's about. She doesn't want to get impregnated. Her father doesn't want it either, but the council wants it because they want their daywalker, and a bunch of stuff ensues. Um, it was uh, enjoyable enough. Now, just to be f- fully honest with you guys, the only copy I could find of this was recorded off the VHS in its original um, uh, air date. So it even had the like 1980s commercials attached to oh, it, awesome. which, which, was cool. <laughs> which, which was awesome to be honest with you. But the problem is because they recorded it in, um, in a short form, the last 10 minutes didn't record, so I don't know how the movie ends. But <laughs> the uh, hour and 30 minutes that I did see of it was pretty good. Uh, not something I necessarily seek out, but a decent TV movie from the early 90s. And it's got Anthony Perkins, right? Yeah, who plays the uh, the dad, the vampire. Nice. Yeah, I think Anthony Perkins is pretty good, man. He is. He is, yeah.
1: Yeah, he had a rough end there. Right. Um, All right. Moving on to 1991's The Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, This is a period piece in Spain back when the Spanish Inquisition was going around killing people just for, you know, claiming they're witches. You can look at them wrong and they're like, witch, and they'll fucking torture them until they say they're witches and then kill them. Um, I honestly would lean a little bit away from horror for this movie. Um, First time watch for me on this one. Uh, starring Lance Henderson, who plays like the main bad guy. He's just an asshole the whole time. Uh, I was surprised to see a guy from um, uh, Better Call Saul and what's his face in there, one of the Mexican dudes.
3: Um, I'm sure you saw that though, Steve, right? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I, I remember seeing someone, and I was really surprised uh, that was him. I'll just look it
1: up really quickly here.
3: Mark uh, Margolis.
1: He plays, like, um, the guy in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah, you know.
3: the the bell, the the bell yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, 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 no, yeah, you're right. <laughs>
1: um, Jeffrey Combs is in this one
2: again. Yeah. I was going to say, you got Jeffrey Combs in here, too. And we actually, you'll hear it in the interview, but they actually filmed this in the same castle that they filmed Castle Freak.
3: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Which was his house. <laughs> so, yep. Uh, that, really? That's, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, Band exactly. Yeah, he it. lived in
3: that castle. Yep. Wow, that's cool, man.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they actually lived in it during filming.
3: Dang,
1: that's fucking sweet. Yeah. Um so yeah, Steve, I think you watched this one before we did, I think. So why don't you take it away again?
3: Yeah. Uh, uh so yeah, so this this was my a first time watch for me as well. Uh I, I, I kinda of enjoyed this one, you know. It uh it shows a little bit that it's like trying to be a period piece but filmed you know in the 80s i don't know there's just a feeling of a like a set to me that i so i didn't super buy the the setting so much but uh i, I enjoyed it it was dark it was gross and i thought the performances were pretty good i, I particularly liked the witch character uh, i don't know why but i just thought that character was great and uh, the mom Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. But she's old. Yeah. She's just old. <laughs> yeah, that, that woman. Um, and then Lance Hendrickson as uh, like a priest who's obsessed with a girl. Uh, his he overperformed maybe a little bit in this. Oh boy, film. did he! But, uh, <laughs> but I, I I just fucking loved him, so I kind of looked over it. But uh, overall, I think it was a decent watch and one I'm happy that I got to see because of this uh, tribute show.
1: Yeah, he was a wild little fucker in this one, and I read that he was kind of a dick on set, like he took it very seriously.
2: <laughs> oh wow!
1: And him and uh, Stuart got in um, like numerous arguments over Stewart wanting to make it a little bit more comedic, and Lance going like, "No, we're doing, we're doing this." So, mm. but um, yeah, thoughts on this,
2: Joe? Ah, uh, yeah. So I had never uh, seen this one before, so uh, this was a first-time watch for me, and. I actually really liked it <laughs> surprisingly um like reading like the uh synopsis and stuff I was like uh eh. like I was kind of like mad on it before I even watched it but man I don't know I was like captivated like by it the whole time I mean I don't I kind of I like period pieces anyway um so I don't yeah this one just kind of like hit me like I don't know if maybe I was just in the right mood when I watched it or whatever but um, I really really enjoyed it I thought it was great and uh, yeah I mean I thought um, I know you guys are saying that Hendrickson like overacted and yeah he did but I don't know just like I felt like it worked like perfect for this uh, type of movie and uh, yeah I mean I I enjoyed the hell out of it honestly so yeah
1: Uh it's probably would be one of my lowest rankings I'm doing a, a solid like six
2: i'm going right. high I, I i enjoy like i said i really enjoyed this one um it was actually one of my not my like top favorite but it was one of the better my favorite ones i watched of um all of them so i'm going seven and a half
3: uh i'm right there with todd it was a six for me as well
1: mm. all right next up sci-fi looks like called fortress 1992 um Kind of sounds a lot like The Running
3: Man. I'm actually probably going to watch this later, but we didn't watch that, I don't think, right? No. No, I, I tried. I found a Russian copy that only showed <laughs> 60% of the screen. And true. I watched the first, like, 20 minutes, but I just couldn't. I'm like, you know what? I watched enough of these films. I think I could skip this one. Nice.
1: Yeah. All right, coming up to 1995. Looks like he took a three-year break here. Um, Castle Freak. Uh, This one also stars Jeffrey Combs, and we have Barbara Crampton in it once again. And a man struggles to save his family from the strange uh, and deadly occurrences in the castle they've inherited. So they inherit a castle, they go to it, and the dad, um, Jeffrey Combs' character, is like a fucking recovering alcoholic, uh, where he actually had an accident and killed his son and blinded his daughter, so he's got a lot of baggage with him. Um, His wife's like, you know, fucking kind of hates him but doesn't at the same time. Um and then he gets back to his old ways. Meanwhile they're hearing noises and shit constantly. Um and then eventually a castle freak arrives. Um I really like this one. Uh it's got some like cool effects in it. I really like the creature. Jeffrey Combs is good in it like always, and um I just really into it. What about you guys?
2: I loved this one. Uh this was probably my second favorite one, I would say, after uh Reanimator. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, like, really clicked for me. Um, one thing I think I would have changed, I kind of wish that, um, they kind of kept, uh, the, the freak in the, obviously, uh, a little le- uh, like, more secretive in the beginning. Like, I kind of wish, like, they made it into a haunted house movie to begin with, and then you find out that, like, there's, like, a real freak or something like that. Like, I think that would have been a little more effective. But other than that, um, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's actually like a, the story actually has like a lot of layers to it. Obviously, you got, you know, uh, Combs, De- Jeffrey Combs, character dealing with, um, you know, the tragedy of, you know, killing his son in the wreck and, you know, him Lying dealing his with his daughter, alcoholism. Man. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, her, yeah, exactly. Making his daughter go blind in the accident and just dealing with his alcoholism. So, I mean, there's actually like a lot of layers there and it's actually like very deep, like when you really um, dissect it. Um, and but then obviously you got the great Castle Freak character as well um, down there. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this one.
1: Still has enough to get a a hooker, though.
2: He's
1: not <laughs> <Yeah>. that upset.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> Yeah, I
3: kind of mirror what you guys said. This is the second one of his films that I had seen. Uh, it's all the other ones I hadn't. But I'd watched this one pro- a long time ago, probably in the like, late 90s uh, when I was in college. And I, I really love this one. The The creature, like freak guy is really cool. Uh, the setting you know, with the castle, I really liked it in this. And the atmosphere and everything. I was hoping for more kills, though, I got to be honest. Uh, I thought there'd be just more... Uh, deaths but the ones that there were were really gory and really cool so i i i really like this one
1: uh, i'm giving this one an
3: an eight
2: i'm going seven point
3: seven five uh, i got an eight on this one too I, I really i really like castle freak and uh we actually i didn't know this i think joe sent it to me uh there's a figure of this uh of the freak and yes he, he looks freaking awesome
2: yeah, I need him. And he's cheap. He's, like, 20. You can get him for, like, 20 bucks, 20, 30 bucks on eBay right now. So, And he's, like, obviously discontinued. So it's a pretty good price.
1: Yeah. All right. 1996, he did a sci-fi comedy called Space Truckers in 98. The wonderful ice cream suit, which it's got a cre- weird-looking um, poster, <laughs> if you guys are looking at it. But uh, moving on to that.
2: I saw that or the, uh, earlier. It is pretty weird looking. It kind of looks like creepy in its own right. <laughs> it does.
1: Maybe It looks kind of like a, a gay porn, to be honest with you.
2: There's
1: a guy in a white suit. And they're all surrounding him, like holding him. Like, huh. Um, and then followed by seven Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Directed an episode of that. And we're coming to our next horror movie, 2001, Uh This one starts off with a young couple. And he's like a kind of nerdy type. He's on the stock market and shit. And they're on a boat with another, another couple, uh, they go to like off the coast of like a Spanish town. And then suddenly this uh, storm rolls in and makes her boat crash against a rock and it pins the, um, other couple's like wife's leg, um, blah, blah, blah. So it forces them, the guy's girlfriend to go to land to look for help. And immediately are met with a bunch of weirdos that are like, don't look at them. They have like little slits that are gills, but you don't really figure that out yet. Um, and then, you know, they go back to the boat, they're missing. And then the girl gets kidnapped and he has to go back and try to figure out what's happening. Um, Before you guys go, I, I know Steve's played it. resident evil four. I got a lot of resident evil four vibes from this.
3: That was exactly the note I had. Nice. (laughs) This, this was so resident evil four with like the beginning when they're like in the Spanish village and they're attacking you and stuff. It gave me the exact same vibes. And that's That's why. So of all the ones I hadn't seen that I watched in this last week, this was my favorite because of that. Because Resident Evil 4 is a game I really, really love. And it gave me such hard vibes of that that I was like all into it. It's just, yeah, totally, totally a Resident Evil nice. 4 uh, clone, but with you know more fishy type people than yep. uh, zombies that they had in the uh, in the game.
1: So th- there are, like, the only really thing that I don't like is some of the questionable CGI from early 2000s. Like I think there's only, like, two or three instances, really. Um,
0: yeah.
1: But other than that, like really good creature effects and long story short, um, you know, spoilers, like all the people are basically worshiping like a worshiping like a fish god essentially. And they all have like tentacles or gills, and they're all basically fish people. Um and they want him to be like basically like the king, I guess, to mate with the queen, who's not who's not bad looking, you know. But she has tentacles, no. so that's a problem.
3: Yeah. Um uh.
2: Very. I mean, it's like, basically, it's Cthulhu, right? It's basically a story of Cthulhu.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is Cthulhu. They actually say it like yeah, yeah. that it is. Yeah.
1: yeah, this one's available on Tubi for free if you guys need to have that app. You
2: guys can watch this for free.
1: So what do you guys think?
2: I, for me personally, um I thought this one was okay. I would say, for, to me personally, it was probably the second weakest one after Dolls for me. Um, but I do give it higher props just for originality, for pure originality. Um, you know, it was definitely like interesting. I, I didn't hate it or anything like that. Um, but I don't know. It just like it just didn't hit for me on a lot of it. Um, I found it. Um, I don't know. I just found like the middle to get kind of boring from time to time, with like not a lot. Ha- you know, just kind of dull. Like, I mean, how many more? How many times can you kind of see these fish people running around before it just kind of? becomes more of the same to me. Um, and then, I mean, it might have been really great if they did ha- get have like a budget with effects and stuff like that, because obviously, like when Cthulhu jumps out at the end, it just looks really fucking terrible. Um, but I mean, like I said, it, it's a pretty original story, and I will give it that. And I actually, my favorite part is the beginning part when the ship um like crashes and stuff like that, and uh, they're trying to, you know, get to the port and stuff. I thought that was all really great, and then you know kind of once they get on land i guess like a little bit after the hotel part is kind of when it kind of started to lose me a little bit and then it does pick up a little bit but yeah i mean definitely not a bad movie but just not my favorite
3: yeah whereas me i just really enjoyed the entire thing mainly because it gave me a resident four vibes but i also enjoyed like the creatures i enjoyed uh you know the the kills that they had in this uh my two kind of gripes with it is one i found that a lot of the dialogue i couldn't understand because their accents were so, so thick that i just like couldn't understand what the hell they were saying so I, I feel like i missed some parts of the movie because of that um yeah
2: i actually put subtitles on steve because i couldn't understand that <laughs> spanish guy uh right. that one the, the drunkard the guy
3: yeah the yeah uh, who, who would the film is dedicated to, which actually passed away, like, right after uh, filming. Um, yeah, uh, and that girl, like, the, the main kind of queen girl, kind of gave me VHS vibes. You know, the girl, like, the kind of bat girl from the yeah, VHS yeah. story. Oh, yeah. She, she kind of looked like her, like, crazy, just, like, dark eyes. Uh, and her obsession with the guy kind of gave me that vibe. Uh, and my other gripe with it is the guy was just stupid. Like, he kept going into enclosed spaces <laughs> instead of, like, running in the woods. They obviously can't catch him, but he keeps going into houses that they're obviously going to, like, trap into. It just, I hate when characters are stupid like that. It just bothers me. But uh, overall, I really dug this movie. It was uh, probably my favorite one that I watched that I hadn't seen before out of all the movies I did. Yeah, I really like
1: when his girlfriend at the end gets, like, her arms ripped off. Yeah, I
3: didn't expect that. I I didn't see that one coming, so I was happy to see that. Yeah.
1: A lot of good. Once again, Sir Gordon delivers on good practical effects for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm giving it a seven.
2: I'm going six. Uh, actually, I'll give with the with for originality. I'll give it a six and a half.
3: And I got a seven and a half. I, I really dug this one. So nice. So far, no
1: shitters. No. Uh next one, two thousand three, not horror, it's more of a crime thing, uh, but called King of the Ants. And uh basically what this kid does is the mob hires him to kill like this uh I believe he's like a accountant or something. Um hires him to kill him, and he does, and but he kinda makes the mobsters mad and they take him and they start torturing him. And it's you know, it's it's very simple what they do to him, but it's also like very disturbing to me. Um how they do it, especially a scene where he wraps his own head just like to get ready for a beating um yeah what'd you you guys think
2: yeah i actually got um like some martyrs vibes todd like during that torture scene when he wraps the thing around his head there (laughs) i was like oh shit like i honestly um but i i really like this movie um i honestly never knew where it was gonna go you know you know like because i didn't watch a trailer or anything i kind of went into this completely blind um before i watched it and uh Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for like mob movies anyway. And obviously this movie has like that mob kind of mentality, obviously, because, you know, he kind of gets hired by the mob to to kill a guy and then shit goes wrong and everything. So, um, yeah, it kind of like pulled me in right away. I mean, obviously it's like low budge and uh, some of the acting is a little questionable and stuff. But uh, I mean, overall, I had a really fun time watching this one and uh, it kind of always left me on the edge of my seat and uh yeah i really dug it and it had the chick from uh thinner in it <laughs> as the the wife oh, yeah <laughs> yeah i have
1: that one dude that's um pro- predominant a lot. Uh, cheers that's the guy
2: norm norm yeah norm yeah. cheers yeah. yeah has a great it, decapitation scene there in this uh but the, the one thing <laughs> i didn't understand and i mean it, you know i guess i, I just kind of went with it anyway but it's like why was he like so obsessed with this guy's wife that like he goes back and like like lives with her and everything like it just he had like seen her once like out on the street and like so it just didn't make a ton of sense to me but he just wanted it yeah i guess it's got one of the Baldwin's in it and <laughs> daniel yeah it does
1: yeah <laughs> and uh the dude from Bandon brothers who uh gets offed by the dude mm-hmm. uh steve
3: yeah uh I, I i like this one as well uh i'd never seen it and you know I was interested throughout the whole thing, kind of like what Joe said. Um, I you know I like I was really invested in what was happening to the character and everything, even though I didn't really like him. And that was something I didn't like any of the characters in this. So I I didn't really care if any of them died, you know that that kind of uh, thing. Uh, I had the same question as Joe. I didn't understand why his obsession with the girl just didn't make sense. Uh, I also thought he was like the worst spy ever. Like he walking around and just like <laughs> yeah. sitting in front of houses, like in the middle of a residential neighborhood and. Uh, I don't know, uh, didn't really you know, get me on that. But uh, overall, I thought it was an enjoyable film.
1: All right.
3: I'm going to drop another seven on this one. Yeah, seven's good with me. Six and a half for me.
1: All righty, moving on to Edmund, 2005. Who watched this one? Uh, I did.
3: All right, take it away. So Edmund is uh, William H. Macy, is unhappy with his marriage and his job. And he just decides one night, fuck it, I'm not happy, so I'm leaving. So he leaves his wife, and then he starts going to get either laid or head or something. Uh, so he goes to, like, a strip club, but he's too cheap to, like, buy the dancer for the price she wants. So he does something, he gets kicked out, then he goes to, like, a whorehouse. He keeps going to places to, like, buy sex, but then is like, oh, no, that's too much money. I don't want to pay that, and, like, negotiates with strippers and negotiates with... Uh, prostitutes and he eventually goes to like a peep show and he doesn't even want to pay for that like he gives it's like 10 bucks for the peep show and he gives a 20 and then he wants his like change back and goes crazy because he's not getting it's just like a weird fucking film Um, I'd say uh, the first half is just him going to different sex places to try to get sex and being too cheap to pay for it Uh, it picks up a little bit in the second half where he meets a girl at a at a bar and they're the thing that brings them together is they're both super fucking racist, which is super weird. Uh, and it's played by, oh, it's a famous actress. One second here. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Julia Stiles. Yeah, Julia Stiles. That's right. Uh, yeah. Julia Stiles, uh, who plays like his girlfriend and they fuck But he gets unhappy. So he murders her and then he goes to jail and he has a relationship with like a black dude. And it's, it's just such a weird fucking film. Totally unlike all of the other Stuart Gordon films that I watch. Um, I don't know why he picked this one in particular, but uh, a lot of cameos of people you'd seen in his other films, which is interesting. But other than that, it's it would be a pass for me. Like maybe a 5.5. I need to get a score. Did you watch it, Joe?
2: Uh, I know.
1: Okay. I really like William
3: H. Macy and Fargo. I think that's probably his best role I've seen him in. Uh, I love him in uh Boogie Nights as
1: well. Oh yeah. fuck. That's a good one too.
3: <laughs> Do you, any of you guys watch Shameless? No. No.
2: Okay. Shameless is really good. Uh it's kind of gotten off the rails. Like, well, the show's always been off the rails, but it's kind of gotten weaker in its later seasons, but the first few seasons are great.
1: Cool.
2: He's also in a indie gem called Rudderless and I always tell people to watch it cuz it's not a lot of people have seen it, but it's him and Billy Crudup, and uh, it's a really, really good drama. Nice. All
1: right, uh, brings us to 2007 Stuck. A young woman commits a hit-and-run then finds her fate tied to her victim. So she takes this guy out, um, he gets stuck in her car, and she just drives home like a bitch. Uh, who, I did not watch this recently, so you guys take it. I'll let you
3: uh, lead on this one, Steve. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, Mina Suvari hits a homeless man with her car um, and just drives off with him. It like stuck in the car. And instead of going to the authorities or to the hospital, she just puts him in the driveway and basically just leaves him there and then goes to fuck her boyfriend. And then it's about the movie kind of how she uh, is going to deal with the guy, because the whole thing is she doesn't want to lose a promotion that she got at her job. And she's afraid that having killed this or think that she killed this guy uh, will fuck up that. But it turns out that he's still alive and suffering in the garage. And the whole movie is basically her trying to deal with the situation and trying to go about her life as this guy's stuck and trying to get out. And, uh, yeah, it's a, I thought it was an interesting film. It's based off a true story, if you can believe it, which is fucking crazy of a girl who actually did that. And it's, I, I was kind of on the edge of my seat the whole time. I thought it was an interesting film. And it's just interesting to see how the hell this girl's not getting caught. And there's always, she's always about to get caught. You know, either the guy's screaming and someone's coming up to the window. And before they call the cops and the family's like, no, if we call the cops, we might get deported. It's just like all these situations where no one ends up like saving him. And uh, you know, I was on the edge of my seat till the end. So I thought it was a pretty decent film. Her hair's terrible in this. Yeah, yeah. it's the <laughs> <or> worst.
2: <laughs> it sure is. Ah, uh, yeah. I actually enjoyed the hell out of this one. Uh, I had uh, never seen this one before, uh, but man, it was. This is probably like my favorite borderline horror one. Obviously, like between this and King of Ants, we're probably the two, you know, more borderline horror ones. But I, I this one, I enjoyed a lot more. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like. There's a lot of tension in it, and you're always kind of, yeah, like on the edge of your seat. I mean, it's done really, really well. Um, there was never really a dull moment, and, yeah, I mean, it, it's quite a ride. I don't really don't want to spoil it because I definitely think it's worth a watch if you've never seen it, and uh, I think it ends great, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great ride the whole way. I don't
1: remember it enough to give it a proper rating, so you guys go ahead and do it.
3: Uh, I'm
2: giving this one a 7.5. Uh, and I'm giving us a
3: seven. All
1: right, cool. All right, next up, uh, he does two episodes of Masters of Horror. The first one's called Dreams in a Witch House, where a... Let me just click on this real quick. A uh, graduate student questions his sanity after he rents a room in an old boarding house, which was the residence of a 17th century witch. Um, and then the follow- the next episode he did on season two was The Black Cat. Um, The Black Cat Set in 1840 Philadelphia is about Edgar Allan Poe uh, struggling with alcoholism and writer's block. I actually went to um, this house that allegedly he wrote the story in in Philadelphia. It's actually really cool. They kept it like how it was. Um, It's really creepy, too. The um, basement where the Telltale Heart supposedly also was written was there. Um, I I don't know if I've seen the Black Cat. I know I've seen the Witch House one, but I don't remember either of them, to be honest with you guys. What about you?
2: Uh, yeah, so I rewatched both of them. Uh, I think Steve did as well. We watched, rewatched both of them for this yeah. uh, retrospective. Uh, um, so I'll start off, I guess, with the Witch House one. Uh, the Witch, the Tales of the Witch House is another H.P. Lovecraft story, which obviously a reoccurring theme with uh, Stuart and The guy really loved his uh, Lovecraft, and he also liked Poe as well um you you know because he did a couple stories obviously pit and pendulum being another one but uh yeah so with this first one tales of the witch house um i liked this one um i definitely had some issues with it but i mean it's a masters of horror episode so i mean it's not a movie so you kind of gotta give it a little bit of leeway here and there but the worst part of this entire episode for me anyway was the rat with like a human face and i'm sure that's part of the Lovecraft story and lore, or whatever, but it just comes off so stupid and cheesy in this one. Um, but other than that, I think the rest of the story is really great, and it gets really fucking dark too. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's got witches in it, so obviously, you know, I'm I was into it. Um, so overall, I would recommend checking this one out.
3: Yeah, it was a weird. You're right. The rat with the face is just super weird. Uh, really strange uh thing uh yeah i, I kind of enjoyed it too uh you know, i was kind of intrigued as to where it was gonna go uh he has like he's babysitting his neighbor's baby and then he like loses the baby and then this just the whole thing with his babysitting adventures and i was intrigued enough to like get myself through the episode not something I, I think i'd ever watch again you know i didn't like it to that extent but i think if people you know like shows like this kind of anthology shows uh, this would be an episode to check out at least once. Uh, you guys got any ratings? Black like Cat. Well, um, uh, well I'll, I'll just talk about the Black Cat one quickly as well. Okay. Uh, so it's about Edgar and Poe having kind of a feud with his cat, uh, Pluto. And uh, a bunch of stuff ensues as he's trying to find inspiration to write a new story. And uh, this one was interesting. It's probably my least favorite performance uh, as far as the... Um, how he was as Edgar Allan Poe, but uh, that's Jeffrey Collins I'm talking about, but overall it was was like intriguing. It's just, I didn't buy his performance. So the whole thing kind of just seemed weird to me. And uh, overall I'd say pass on this one.
2: Yeah. um, I I did like this one. Um, I would say out of the three television episodes he did, this one was probably the weakest one. Um, but it still wasn't bad. I mean, if you're a fan of Edgar Allan Poe's work, I would say absolutely check it out. If you're not a Poe fan, it's probably worth, um, you know, it's probably worth a skip, but I mean, it's definitely not a bad story. Uh, and, uh, as far as ratings on the witch house one, I would probably go, I'm going to, I'd give the witch house one a seven. Um, and this is just kind of based on like, I'm giving it a little more leeway just cause it was a TV show. So obviously he didn't have like any budget at all, probably on these and
3: whatnot. Um, and then black cat, I think
2: I'd I'd go six and a half on. And
3: I'd go six for the house, the Dream House one, and black cat, probably five point five.
1: Alrighty. Um, you know I, I don't know about you guys, but I think Master's Horse mostly miss than than hits in general.
3: It's
2: been so long, so like I'm trying to revisit them all right now. So far, I've only watched. Um, the black cat one and uh and uh, oh and the witch house and cigarette burns and cigarette burns has been by far the the best of the three you, you said sick girl or no or did i i ha- i i mean i have i've seen them all but it's been so long i really don't remember like any of them
1: yeah sick girl's pretty good They're directed by lucky mckee and Scott, one of the i forget what her name is but misty monday remember her
2: Yes. Um, J- J- for some reason, I always remember Jennifer. That was one, right? I think.
1: Yeah, that was the one with a bag over her head and nice body. I
2: yeah.
1: Mhm. Um, okay, that brings us to another TV show, *Fear Itself*, episode one, actually titled *Eater*. Um, nothing is as, nothing is as it seems when a rookie cop is assigned to watch over a serial killer known as the Eater. Um, stars a very young Elizabeth Moss um, from uh, *Handmaid's Tale*, *Invisible Man*, um, shit like that, and I love this episode. It's um, easily my favorite out of *Fear* itself, although I haven't watched those in a long time either. Um, but this, this is really good, and I know you watched. Uh, I know you watched it, Steve. Did you watch it, Joe? I did. Cool. Take it
2: uh yeah i really i really enjoy this one too i think this is probably the best out of the three no doubt about it um just a really really uh cool story and once again big points for originality on this one too um it was something different having kind of like the cajun serial killer who kind of uses voodoo um to kind of like transfer through bodies and stuff like that uh it's a really cool idea um you know uh, once again a very young elizabeth moss i'm not sure how young she was in this but i mean the episode was like 13 years old so i mean she was probably in her you know mid to early 20s at this point but um yeah great performance by everybody um the uh one of the other cops we also see in stuck which is another recurring theme with stewart gordon the guy really likes to use um you know the same uh actors and stuff very very tarantino-esque he likes to stick with uh you know, who he knows and whatnot, um, but I mean, hey, it works for him, and uh, yeah, this was this was a great one.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, this was my favorite, by far, of the TV show uh, episodes that I watched, and one of my favorite things that I watched of all of Stuart and Gordon's uh, filmography, I just really dug the vibe in this. I liked uh, the way they dispatched the bodies. I like how cool the kind of voodoo cannibal guy looked like. Uh, this was actually written by Richard Tismar who's uh, known to collaborate with Stephen King a lot. And I definitely got that vibe in uh, this episode. And uh, I just really, really liked it. It was quick. It was to the point. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. Really enjoyed this. I give it it a solid 8 out of ten. Seven And And 8 for me as well. Uh, I'd I
2: also think... like to rescind my Castle Freak and bump Uh-oh. it up to an eight after more thinking.
1: <laughs> uh, motion denied. <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> uh, I think that's his last one, guys. Um, he did an interview for DVD, actually, it looks like. And then Bunker of Blood was also like a weird mosh-up of just, yeah, I think, full moon. Like it's a, re- it's a recap. Did...
2: I... Yeah.
1: And then he had one in development called Taste, but obviously that's not going to be made um shoot that's it
2: kind of yeah. like so a what long you guys career, career overall a short career i was very impressed i don't think he ever had out of everything i watched i don't think he had one bad movie and that's <laughs> saying something um okay. you know not all of them were perfect or anything but they were all re- I-, I enjoyed every single one of them i watched um and i think that's a a testament i mean there are carpenter movies i've watched that. I haven't liked, you know, I mean, so some of the most iconic and Craven had some stinkers out there, but honestly with Gordon going through his whole thing, I mean, at his worst, it was mediocre, but still passable and good. Um, so, I mean, I think he had a very successful career. And also to note, um, all of these movies are like B movies there. I mean, they're none of them had like a great budget to them. So, I mean, I would have loved to have seen what this guy could have done had he, you know, gotten successful and had like a a huge budget like horror movie or something but for what he had and to work with and everything i mean the guy did a a fantastic job
1: yeah you know a strange career i mean it seems like he has a lot but like didn't have as much as like you know like a carpenter or craven or even romero seems like he just like spaced his stuff out a lot Mm
2: -hmm. did a lot of writing
1: too for non-horror stuff
2: Right. Which, did we even mention that? Like, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, right? No. Nah, I don't think we talked about it.
1: Yeah. He wrote uh, both originals?
2: Is that what he did? He wrote,
3: yeah, I think he wrote yeah, no, Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Honey that. I Blew Up the Kids. Yeah. That's there cool. Is. He wrote everything in that series. Yeah. And did you guys notice, like, so having watched so many in a row, that he he does use a lot of the same kind of tropes over and over? Uh, I don't want to list which ones because it would be a spoiler, but a lot of them end with him burning the final, like, villain. And if you really think about it and look at all of them, it's kind of crazy. Like, he uses fire as an element in a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. And you also see things like, um, you know, like in, which one was it? Pit in the Pendulum, where the witch puts gunpowder in her mouth so that she explodes and kills people he reused again in the episode of fear itself. And you see a lot of like things that either he, he reuses an actor my God. I mean, Jeffrey Combs is in like pretty much every one of these movies, uh, at yeah. least as a cameo. Uh, yeah. Definitely see his style. And it was cool to see his progression throughout films as I was watching them. So yeah, it was a great director. I really enjoyed watching his films over the last week. Yeah. Another horror movie he wrote that didn't
1: direct was the dentist from 1996. And I'm not hundred percent sure I've seen this one. Uh, um, i
2: have it's been so long um it, but it was from what i remembered it was you know a good little b movie yeah basically
1: as it's, i mean just as it sounds it's a dentist that goes crazy
2: yeah i remember like the big thing see i always i always um mix up dr giggles and the dentist but i'm pretty sure in the dentist um like his wife cheats on him
0: and yeah, that's what it says, right, with,
2: yeah. like, the pool guy and he, like, fucking, like, t- he basically, like, ties her down and, he, like, he rips out her teeth, like, one by one with no anesthesia. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal from what I remember. Dr. Giggles is good. Yeah. is Giggles is Corbin Burnson, right? I'm not sure. Let me look is it up. I always confuse them. Cur- actually, doc- maybe the dentist is Corbin Burnson, and then Dr. Giggles is the other guy. Like I said, I always confuse the two. Are you talking about the character name? Uh the actor.
1: Um Larry Drake is cuddles or jiggles. Or (laughs) jiggles.
2: Okay. Who's the dentist? The
1: dentist. I just remember like the cool ass poster for the dentist with like a bunch of spikes in her mouth.
2: I think the dentist might be Corbin Burns.
1: Corbin. Corbin uh, No. Yeah, Corbin is the actor's name.
2: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, also known for Major League. Was he in Major League? Yeah, he was uh, Dorn. Huh, just a bit outside.
1: <laughs> Great movie. Uh, Best three out of Gordon's filmography, guys.
2: Uh, so, yeah, I, for me, it might be a little surprising. Well, actually, no. Well, see, I really want to put Pit and the Pendulum in there. But it's so hard when you got obviously re- I I guess I'm gonna go reanimator, uh, Castle Freak, and then the Beyond with Pit and the Pendulum a close fourth.
1: All right. I'm doing reanimator from Beyond, and then I'm throwing Castle Freak number three with um, if I'm going four, probably Fear itself that episode.
3: And for me, uh, since I didn't see From Beyond, I'd say Reanimator, uh, Castle Freak, and probably Diagon. I really like that one. But if we're counting Fear itself, I think I liked it more. But as far as his movies go, Diagon would be my third favorite. Resident Evil 4, the movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it did a better job than the actual Resident Evil 4, the movie. So It did. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm still planning to
1: watch all of them like, in one sitting, hopefully. That's a lot of movies, isn't it? Is? It is. I think but, so. Maybe not one sitting, maybe like six months.
3: Right, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> um, That was fun, man. I mean, solid director all around.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um. Well, th- uh, yeah, you guys write in. You guys didn't write any messages, I don't think, for this show, right? But um, if you guys got your top three student Gordon films, hit us up. And I think next week we're going to be
2: talking about uh, The Platform, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah so. we could do The Platform, or The Boy too, I guess. But I, I think I'd rather do The Platform. Yeah, let's yeah, watch that one.
1: Yeah. I still need to watch The Tiger Show, too. Like oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, cool. yeah. you have to talk. You, to you have so to. We to can
2: talk about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, someone told me, like, uh, out of the... I don't know where. I don't know what it means, but he's like, it's that bitch Carol Dandris or something. What are you talking Carol about? Baskins. Brown, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I need you'll, to watch this. You'll know. You'll know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well... Uh, listen to the interview that uh, Steve and Joe did.
2: Don't going to acknowledge my fart? Oh, wait, are you guys still recording? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is
3: did hilarious.
1: They... Leave it in. I didn't hear a Was there a fart, an audible fart? I missed it. I, I
3: didn't hear it, no. I mean, it
0: was from my mouth, but uh, it was Sure, sure it was. I was trying to ask Joe farted. I didn't know you were still recording, Kate. Bye.
2: Do you have any thoughts on Stuart? Hey, you're still part of the show. Do you have any thoughts on Stuart Gordon since you're finished up with your thing? No, work?
1: no, I
0: don't.
1: You have a favorite movie.
0: Nope.
1: you like Reanimator? Yeah. All right, there you go. <laughs> number, number one pick.
2: All right. All right. All right. See ya. So stay tuned for the interview. Charles Band, the founder of Full Moon. Yeah.
0: All right, bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Hey, guys, and welcome back to another uh, episode of the Horror Squad podcast, where tonight we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, The man really doesn't need an introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. Uh, He is a true legend of the horror genre. He's produced over 300 films, directed over 60 of some of our favorite and most iconic horror movies, the founder of Full Moon Features, Mr. Charles Band, Charles, how are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing great, boy. What a what a what a wind up, or yeah, send off. Thank you very much. I'm doing great. Awesome. Uh, all right, so let's just get
2: right into it. Uh, why don't you tell? I mean, obviously, you're on here uh, to promote Corona Zombies, so why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
0: <laughs> I know. Well, you know, there are still some people who think we're really crazy because they think it's a, a it's a straight up scary movie, which it isn't. We're like many other artists and creators and musicians and songwriters, we're, we're doing something that's really silly and, and really hopefully will amuse people. You know, we're in this real, this, I mean, I'm sure how yeah, we pandemic, but it's a very dark, difficult period for a lot of people. And, you know, I always feel something bizarre and funny can uh, make you laugh at things like, you know, people hoarding toilet paper, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera. So we are making this movie. It's, it was a last minute idea comes out on the 10th, which seems like tomorrow, but it is almost tomorrow. It's a week from a week from tomorrow. And it's only on our Full Moon Features site, which, you know, you can get the app on Apple and uh, Xbox and you can go online and blah, blah, blah. We're really proud of the uh, streaming site. Uh, We were pioneers in that business. Just six months after Netflix launched, we were there with the predecessor streaming site called Full Moon Streaming. So yeah, we're we're excited. It's 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 kind of a hoot doing something so weird. But I keep reminding people we are making exploitation movies.
2: All right. Uh, so was it was this uh, your brainchild, or did uh you know someone else come to you with this?
0: No, no, it was mine. I have been I've been kidding for years uh, about the zombie apocalypse. Uh, people ask, me this I mean this goes back three four years. You know, this is a bit of the 1% have all the dough and people are struggling. And when I talk to friends of mine who are wealthy and maybe politically aligned in the wrong way, I go, listen, everything's fine right now. But one day, you know, there'll be a zombie apocalypse and you'll be on your 14-story office building and you'll be seeing these freaking pissed off people climbing up the side of the building, you know, zombies the have-nots, the homeless, you know, they're going to, like, uh, rip you apart. And it, it was kind of a running joke I've been talking about forever. Of course, I never knew uh, that the the actual zombies would be, I mean, the threat would be invisible. And it's, in a weird way, it's like an alien invasion without aliens and explosions. And, you know, it's just sort of here and affecting everyone, but you can't see it. You know, you can't shoot it. So, uh, so yeah, so only three weeks ago, literally three weeks ago, they can kind of be so much fun to, To do something, you know, we were about to be locked down or sheltered or whatever the expression is here in L.A. So I came up with this idea, which most people don't know what it is yet, but I'll let you know that it's a combination of some new material, um, some footage from an old Italian zombie movie that I love that we wiped clean. and We did sort of a what's up, Tiger Lily to it with some really funny dialogue. There's news footage that sort of pivots in and out of, of our bizarro story. And there's some material from a movie I made called Zombies versus Strippers. So, uh, on the a week after the idea was sort of hatched, you know, we put out some teasers, and I really needed this material. You know, it was just one day shoot, but it was sort of complicated, and so I rallied uh, the, the, a skeleton crew, uh, the, the actors, and um, a friend of mine's house as the location. And the day we shot it was the 20th, which is the day they shut down L.A. So I drove out to my friend's house in the valley, which is usually an hour drive. took me 14 minutes and we were all there pretty much masked up, which was (laughs) weird enough. And uh, yeah, we we shot this. Now, luckily, everyone is in good health. You know, there was, I guess, some risk, you know, for sure. Um, But everybody is everybody involved in our little baby shoot our uh, home. And in good health. And, and then, of course, we've been working in post-production on, on this show, which is kind of complicated because of, there's seven uh, relatively well-known stand-up comedians who've the voices. You know, there's music, there's the mix, there's CGI, there's crazy effects. And all this is being done virtually uh, through people, you know, in people's homes. So right. it's also kind of weird if you, if you have, um, I mean, a lot of the business is now sort of a virtual deal anyway, so it's not like this is all brand new. But, you know, when you if you have, you know, 20 pages of funny dialogue and seven different people reading different characters, you know, you go to an ADR stage, you you have the movie on screen. Everyone's doing it from their home with either a mic or on their uh, iPhone. So coordinating that and and then, of course, you know, finishing it and doing what you need to do. So we have a movie that can be released next Friday has been I mean, it's been cool in that it's not quite been done before. At least we haven't uh, to this extent. Um, and it keeps you really i mean we're busy in general just cuz we're doing all the crazy stuff we always do just from our homes but uh, it's it's i think it's turned out really well for for what it's meant to be and i know there we're getting about we're getting a lot of international coverage i'd say 70 maybe even 80% is very positive thank god someone's making something with some humor and then we've got about 20% of the haters who I think, right. you know, one guy wrote to us and just said, you insensitive fuckwits. So <laughs> we're going to get, you know, we're going to get those, those people too. But I think, and quite a few of the comments, it, I get the impression reading them that people think we just went out and made a real gory zombie movie, which believe me, this isn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, all right. So I want to take, uh, take us back to the, the kind of the beginning of, uh, your career here. And I just wanted to know how how did you get started uh, in filmmaking and was it always like a dream of yours?
0: Well, I was fortunate to uh, literally grow up on a movie set. My dad made movies in Europe. I I grew up in Rome. Uh, He took us there, myself and my younger brother, who's a composer and has done a lot of music for my movies. He took us there when we were like little, little, little kids. I think I was four, my brother was two. And uh, I just remember being so unhappy that I was leaving my friends and, you know, I was a little guy, but suddenly we're going to Italy and, um, but he promised it would be a one-year deal. And it turned out to be um, 17 years. <laughs> Came back when I was yeah. just about to turn 21. So being lucky enough to grow up in Italy, Hollywood on the Tiber and my dad made movies, you know, spaghetti Westerns, uh, Epics. I, I was briefly in front of the camera, camera, I played the son of Steve Reese in one of the Hercules movies, so I, I was, you know, I didn't like that at all. So I thought I want to be the guy behind the camera. I don't want to be like the actor. But yeah. I grew up on these movie sets and and, and loved the craft. And I was well trained by my dad. He had me do just about everything you can possibly do on a movie set and post production and editing the whole shebang. But I had a particular love for sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. And then we came back to the states. Uh, things were tough, tough for my dad. I invented a crazy uh, Business that yeah I've always been a super entrepreneur guy so even before I was making movies, I was was doing really crazy stuff that made money so I was kind of like I had money as as a a young guy which is good and bad you know but um, by the time we got back to the states I invented this gift item business suddenly there was a ton of dough and with that money I was able to make my first movie and then I just never stopped so I've been making movies and I I briefly worked uh, at a clothing store on Hollywood Boulevard I'm completely colorblind and I was selling ties to largely a black clientele. I mean, this is when the Boulevard was really run down. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, if you've seen once upon a time in Hollywood, that's exactly the way the Boulevard was. He did a great job at, at bringing this into, uh, into, into kind of what I, I saw as a, as you know, a young guy. And I, I worked briefly there and then I had this crazy business. And then next thing you know, I'm making movies and it's just been nonstop.
2: Yeah. Was, uh So I got to ask, was uh, the the castle in Castle Freak, that was your actual uh, castle, right? It was filmed at – was yeah, that you, in- – Yeah, you, well?
0: you, 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 you jump cut like 20 odd years or whatever, however many years. Um, well, actually not that many years, uh, eight, nine years. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the 80s were amazing years because we were – I had the first um, home video, direct-to-home video, direct-to-video company on earth, except for one exception, a guy named Andre Blay who who licensed some movies from 20th Century Fox. And uh, he started a company called Mag Video. And so he and I were sort of neck and neck. I mean, I bought independent, the rights to independent movies aside from releasing my own movies like Flesh Gordon and Groove Tube and then you know, Halloween and I Spit on Your Grave and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I was in, I was making movies, but also in the video business and then everything exploded around 1980 with movies I made that did really well. I sold a movie to um, Universal called Metal Storm. I made a movie called Ghoulies and released it theatrically. And we were in that business. So yeah, the 80s were sort of um, amazing years. And, you know, we had a lot more money than we have today, maybe 10 times (laughs) to make movies, because I mean, they were still low budget movies by comparison, but they were, you know, it was a different world and direct to video and video rental and all that morphed into you know DVDs, and then um, towards the end of the 80s, the company I had, Empire, um, it was pretty much controlled by the bank that I was involved with, and you know they made me an offer to sort of step away and retain some rights, and uh, it got really difficult to, to deal with kind of a partner that had really different ideas. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it differently this time, and I started Full Moon. And the first movie there was Puppet Master, and um, I made a deal with Paramount. They were our distributors for many years. And, I mean, there's a thousand more steps between now and then, but uh, that's kind of how it all began.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, and Full Moon has continued to remain a a strong force in horror and cult cinema. Uh, What do you attribute your success and longevity to?
0: uh just sort of I don't know I've got blinders on i I think people who I mean I'm really lucky I you know I don't know where this comes from but i'm I'm you know to me I'm just and I've had terrible downs too I've had great periods of really bad periods of, of you know with I've had as a young kid almost died a couple of times that's a whole other another story so when you when you're kind of in that position a uh, third world country you you there's not much else that can happen to you that compares, you know, it's almost like, well, I've almost fricking died and I saw people dying in front of me in a, in a hospital ward in Yugoslavia. Well, what could be worse than that? So somehow I had this, this sort of, you know, no fear at all um, attitude and, and, you know, you have to have it in your blood. I think, you know, I I had the entrepreneurial thing, not sure where that came from. I mean, my ability to make movies and love the craft came from my amazing father who, I really miss, he was just a great, great guy and was sort of my right arm. I and mean, he worked for me for like the last 20 odd years of his life. Um, he used to call it reverse nepotism, but you know, he was my dad. And so he was the veteran who who you know, helped line produce a lot of movies, a lot of the Stuart Gordon movies like Robot Jocks and From Beyond and Dolls and others. And later on the David Allen movie, which we're still trying to get done and we will have done probably by the end of the year called The Prime Vitals. So my dad was like super, you know, great in the craft, but, you know, he was, that, that was his thing. I, I somehow had this, uh, this sort of, you know, fearless blood and just, you just kind of move forward. And, you know, it's, when things are really difficult, like the world's falling apart and people are chasing you and mistakes are made, you just have to kind of get up every morning and just do it. You know, it's one day at a time, you know, sometimes it's six hours at a time, you know, can I get through and still breathe that lunch? You know, I don't know how to describe it, but that's sort of the underpinnings of uh, of just doing it for 40 odd years, you know, plus I'm in complete denial because, you know, everyone worked for me in their 30s and 40s, and I, that's what I think I am. But then I think, well, wait a minute, how could I have made a movie in 1975? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you kind of uh, just stay young at heart, and 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 it's forward motion. You know, the minute you stop, slow down, sit down, look back, it's like, well, wait a minute, no, I can't do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, yeah, Steve, jump on in. I know you got some questions,
3: too. Yeah, you, you just mentioned uh, Stuart Gordon, who, of course, you worked with on great films like Reanimator, Castle yeah. Freak, yeah. Dolls, Pin in the Pendulum. Yeah. We're actually doing a tribute show uh, as our next episode to Stuart Gordon. Can you tell us a few... Of your experiences with him, a couple stories of what it was like working
0: with such a horror. Oh legend. man, there were there's so many because we did. You know, we started with Reanimator, which you know he and Brian used, brought to Empire, and then we got very involved, my dad and I, and you know all the way through uh, Castle Freak. But Stuart and I always remain good friends. The last time I saw him was uh, he and I, uh, my girlfriend, and um, Stuart's wife Carolyn. We went out to dinner. And, um, you know, he had been not in good shape for some time. He looked, he was seemed pretty good. He was up in spirits. And But I know he had a lot of health issues. Um, and, um, but it, it's, I'd have to think of which movie and, and, and what the stories were. And, you know, Stewart was always, to his credit, bullheaded. I mean, when he wanted something, he really tried hard to get it. He, if it was a no, because, you know, it, it all boils down to trying to make these movies, you know, within a certain budget. And I'm kind of a, not as good as Roger Corman. He just like, this is the budget. It's not, you're not going to get another dollar. I mean, if I felt the movie was going to be amazing, I would squeeze money out somewhere to give, you know, whether it was myself, if I was directing and I'm pretty rough on myself, but you know, if Stuart needed something and I felt it made a difference, yeah, we would, and every one of these movies went a little over budget. So there, a lot of this memories are Stuart just, you know, putting his foot down and needing this and wanting that. And, but we, you know, he's like, he was like a teddy, teddy bear, you know, he, he could have been a little tricky on set, and my close friend, also gone Mac Halberg, who shot most of these movies and many of mine. Um, he would come to me, you know, during the shoot, say Charlie Stewart wants this and that. And he wants the camera to wrap around and go behind here, and we're going to waste time. And so we all had to kind of deal with Stewart's, uh, you know, sort of obsession. But but oh, that's also within reason. What you know made him a wonderful director. He, he wanted to do things in the way he he saw them. Um, but yeah the, back to the castle because that ties to a couple of movies that we made at the castle yeah i was able to during those amazing years for very little money in 1985 purchase that auction this incredible castle that was about an hour outside of rome and um uh, during difficult years some years ago that was the castle went away <laughs> so no more castle but for a bunch of years you know i owned it We we went there as a family Stuart and his family came over, and we made two movies there. I mean, it was a place where we literally had rooms where we lived in, and then we went upstairs, downstairs, or down to the whatever the the scene required, to the set of, in the case of Stuart, A Pit in the Pendulum and Castle Freak, both movies shot at that castle. So they're just crazy stories, especially late at night. We're all tired, running around. Stuart was a bit of a prankster. We just we just had a, a, a good time and it was magic to be able to sleep in this beautiful place, which I restored over many years and literally be in the building where the movie was being shot. It was kind of, kind of extra bizarre. But um, one story, which, which just, just, well, it's one of the ones that I remember the most when we would go over to Stuart and Carolyn's house for dinner, dating back to the eighties, um, he used to have a Uh, Michelin man, Uh, he found it, you know, I don't know where At some gas station. It was a, one of those sort of plastic with a light inside Michelin man kind of looked like, I'm not sure what else it looked like, but it was the Michelin Michelin man guy. It was probably made in the fifties and we loved it. Every time we got there, we'd take pictures and fool around with the Michelin man, just because he was just a big, brightly lit sort of just gaudy ornament, you know, when you walked into Stewart's house. And then once we went over, it was maybe some years later, and there was no Michelin man. He was like the mascot of Stewart's. home. I got, what the fuck happened to the Michelin man? And they were both very sad. They said, well, he just kind of fell apart. I mean, we don't know exactly what happened. He was old. He was brittle. Maybe he got nudged and he just fell into like 100 pieces. I said, well, where the fuck is it? It's in the garage. So we went out to the garage, and sure enough, there's like, you know, a pile of chunks of the Michelin man. And I said, Stuart, this is like, you cannot lose a Michelin man. So, I, I forget who did this. It was one of the effects guys who worked for me at the time, but I had all those pieces picked up, brought to our effects play. It took about a month and like a big jigsaw puzzle. We put the Michelin man back together and it went back to Stewart's home.
2: That's awesome.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, um, I was also wondering, you've also been a writer, producer, director. Uh, which of those do you enjoy Mo- more? Are they all equal? What was your original goal? Was it to be so- something like one of them or all of them?
0: No, I, you know, when you're running, sometimes things are good and sometimes things are bad. I mean, yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know, every, with few exceptions, every project I've done are, you know, they're my ideas. It's my title. It's my sort of storyline. I worked on the art usually before anything happened because you need to have a handle to be able to sell these things, you know depending on the medium. But physically, there's no way I could have made that many movies and, and directed them all. So the fact that I directed whatever I've done, 60-odd movies, that's cool. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, something I totally gapped out. What was the <laughs> what was the question?
3: Just which oh. one do you prefer doing, a writing, directing, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, mix sorry. of all them? Yeah, I was about <laughs> to
0: tell, uh, I went back to Stuart Gordon for a minute. I get it, I get it. No, uh, as far as favorite movies, You know, you whether you produce, create and let someone else direct or you direct yourself, they're kind of like your kids. You know, it's hard to say, well, uh, these all kind of weren't so great, but I love that one. And so I don't really have one. Honestly, there's four or five that are my favorites in that. I think the movies turned out well, keeping in mind we make movies for very little money and the experience of making the movie was you know, equally fun. You know, it's always good. I mean, for me, I always enjoy being on the set. I have not one bad memory at all of any movie I've ever directed of some chaos on the set because I kind of bring a certain amount of calm and and the crew I've worked with before and everyone's kind of family. But the few that come to mind and they're diametrically opposed is I made a movie in the mid 80s called Trancers with uh, Tim Thomerson and Helen Hunt. And yeah, I made sequels since then. It was one of the few movies that I thought were was you know, again, we didn't have a lot of money, but it was really clever. It was well-written. Uh, Tim and I were good friends, dating back to metals. And Helen became a friend. I mean, this was her first sort of leading role, or co-leading role, role. So not only am I proud of the movie, because it plays, I think, really well, and it was clever the way we dealt with time travel, but it also um, was so much fun on the set, because Tim and I were very close, and he's just... He, the best you can ever imagine to work with. He was funny jokes. You know, He was a stand-up comedian before he did the acting thing. So he was just the perfect guy to hang out with on set. He was always making Helen and everyone laugh on set. And and then I made a sequel, which was even more fun to to, to be part of, which was Transfers 2, where he brought in this beautiful young girl, Megan Ward, who then went on to have quite a career. And so it was me, Tim, uh, Helen Hunt, and Megan you know, in most of those scenes, also just having the best time ever on set. So Trancers is a memory of fun and, and a movie I'm proud of. And the other one, which is on the way other side of the fence, is a movie called Head of the Family, mm-hmm. which um, I think people who see that movie really dig it. And a lot of people, are like, what are you talking about? What's Head of the Family? So that's one of my other favorite films, because I think it represents sort of the type of the tone of the the, the movie that I like to make. And when it comes to horror, you know, it's kind of dark humor. Uh, it's it's you know I never really made a slasher movie so there's not a lot of blood and guts I mean it's pretty twisted and weird but there's a good sense of comedy and and with, I think really well written characters because you know we don't have the budget to have endless special effects which I don't think work anyway um, you know but you have to have something if in, in the best case would be a more of a character driven show with humor and horror and whatever your story the story is you're telling wrapped around it. And Head of the Family has all that. It has just, it's a kind of a grotesque, weird horror comedy. And I'm, i I like that movie. We have actually a sequel plan. Once the world stops, you know, I don't know kind of goes back to semi-normal. You know, we, 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 that's one of the movies that are lined up that we're shooting. I got the script. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's called Bride of the Head of the Family. So there's, I mean, there's many more, I mean, there's, you know, Castle Freak was even though it was kind of a scary movie, um, that was fun to make because we shot it at the castle and Stuart and I were all hanging out. That was cool. Barbara and Jeffrey. And um, I mean, I can just keep thinking of more movies, Metal Storm, even though that was a long time ago, a weird movie I made called Laser Blast. Ghoulies was totally fun mm. to make, um, you know, but I, I would say the top two, not, not so much favorite movies, but where the experience was memorable and the movies I think turned out really well are those first two are Transfers and Head of the Family.
2: Yeah, one of one of my personal favorites, and I think it's really underrated, is Taurus
0: Trap." Oh, thank you, sure, sure. That was, <laughs> 1978, man, Jesus! I bet you 80% <laughs> of the people listening to this weren't even born in '78. <laughs> yeah, um, so that was a that was a good one. I mean, you know. Yeah. Working with Chuck Connors was a trip. You know, he had already, uh, I don't want to say he he was at the end of his career. He was not an old man, but he had already done The Rifleman. I mean, he was a TV fixture for many years. And, uh, you know, David Schmoller and I have made a number of movies together. and David did a good job. And, um, yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, you know, it's funny. Movies you make that are somewhat different and innovative 40 years ago or whatever it is, 42 years ago, because they are I don't want to say they're ripoffs, but there's so many movies that borrow themes and visuals that, you know, the jaded audience today that has seen absolutely everything. Uh, I think when they see this movie, they can get into sort of the kind of creepy, organic tone of the piece, and it works on that level. But all the tricks, you know, that we had at the time were really effective. Um, today, it's, you know, everything's CGI. So, you know, back then when when that room rattled and stuff flew across the room and all that creepy shit happened, I mean, we had to build that and rig that and pull it on wires. And, you know, there was no uh, – <laughs> that was a different era. But, yeah, that movie still plays, I think, really well.
2: Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, now, some of my other favorite full-moon movies deal with the, the tiny guys, obviously. You know, you get got Puppet Master, Ginger Dead Man, Demonic Toys, even right. Dolls. Um, so, uh-huh. um, what's, what's the fascination? Uh, you know, have you always just, was there a certain situation, like a situation that happened or?
0: No, not really. I just, you know, as a young guy living in, you know, a foreign country, you know, there was no TV really in Italy back in those days. I was a complete Marvel comics freak. I was there before day one of all the superheroes as I was buying all those older, you know, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, little, horror, you know, the, the, the horror books before they kind of morphed into what we know as, you know, all the Marvel comic series and franchises and characters. So, you know, I had a diet of all that and some weird Italian movies. And, um, you know, somehow I must've seen some movies that, you know, really left an impression from the fifties, even though, I mean, I, I must've seen them sometimes in the late sixties. So, and then always in Italian, it was just weird to see a lot of classic movies in, um, originally shot in English in Italian. So the first time I've I've seen most of the movies, you know, as a young guy, young kid, they were famous movies that we all know about, but in Italian. So eventually when I got back to the States and I re-saw them in their original language, that was kind of a trip. But I must have been fascinated with, you know, basically inanimate objects coming coming to life. Uh, you know, some of my favorite movies are the Ray Harryhausen films. So, you know, whether it's Jason of the Argonauts, Argonauts or... Um, Any any of them really, Uh, but Jason comes to mind, and Seventh Voyage to Sinbad for sure. You know when Talos comes to life, that the inanimate objects you're not expecting to move just was it was great. And stop motion, of course, was a great uh, you know way to do that. So so, yeah, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to make these movies, and I kept. I mean, the first one, I mean, I made several in the early '80s, but the first real. Balls to the wall, lots of inanimate freaking dolls coming to life was dolls. The movie I made was Stuart. And that's what I wanted to make for a long time. And that actually I still think is in terms of just volume of dolls and effects and stop motion and creepy shit. That was uh, that was a real good movie. And then, you know, after that, a few years later, I did Puppet Master, which we're about to release the 12th Puppet Master movie in a few months called Blade you yep. and demonic toys and all these other ones the ones you just mentioned so yeah I, I have an affinity for those little characters and creatures and they also are are sort of unique and then I, I think i know how to make those movies pretty well and other people um haven't you know so uh, they, and they're kind of timeless you know i don't think these are movies that i mean i've made movies that 30 40 years ago that people are still watching and finding really entertaining you know uh, a lot of horror movies, which I grew up with, because I, I used to watch every single one. You know, you look at today, they're really dated. They're they're kind of like, oh man, that was mm-hmm. kind of fun back in the 80s. But a lot of these other movies, and I think the a lot of the ones that I made with puppet Falls, creatures, I I think stood the test of time. And that's also yeah. because I've been a big fan of, you know, organic shots, stop motion animation, no CGI. I'm so, so not into that CGI world. Um, so I think you know it's kind of rare now because it's so much cheaper and easier to do CGI tricks than build something right. on set or build something that has to be animated from beneath the floor of a set. That's a whole thing that, you know, most people don't do anymore.
2: Yeah. And I think the fans really, uh, the, especially horror fans, they really appreciate the, you know, the practical effects. And I mean, you, yeah, you hear that you know all the time. So, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate, I, I, every time I watch a, a new horror movie and I see practical effects on it, I, I mean, I really appreciate it. And just, yeah, the CGI, just it just doesn't, it's not the same.
0: No, because you know it's a cartoon. And the, plus, the other problem is these big tentpole movies, these hundred to $250 million gargantuan, never ending two and a half hours of torture movies. You go to the, and there's a few good ones that come through because they're character driven. You care about the people a bit. But we've seen it all. We've seen every city explode, go, go underwater. We've seen every stupid animated version of uh, gargoyles and six-headed dragons and you know who cares you know and it looks fake anyway it looks like a a, you know a video game yeah anyway Uh, but no i'm you know we you you keep bending with the times and once we get out of a a soup here and we can go back and shoot movies we have a whole uh, lineup but you know, the, the 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 main thing for me is, you know, whereas in the beginning of my career it was movie theaters and we were the B-movie, usually in theaters across the country and drive-ins and that morphed into VHS and video rental and DVD and rental, rental, rental. And for, you know, we built it up to, with Paramount and some years later by ourselves or on our own, we were the number one independent supplier to Blockbuster in Hollywood. So, you know, every month there'd be a full moon movie and we had tons of that's how fans discovered and found and kept up with our films. And that all died. And when that died, it was really the death knell for a lot of people who couldn't hang on. We barely hung on because there was a big gap between making these movies, getting them out at, you know, 20, 30,000 video stores and and more. If you you take into account, we did really well over those years in, in the UK and Japan and Germany, and Italy. And then it was just sudden death. And little by little the streaming thing kind of came alive. And now this is our new video store. So it's it's interesting that, you know, for a few bucks you can join us. I mean, in our case, it's fullmoonfeatures.com. Um, you can, you know, you know, stream the movies, usually in really good HD quality, into your home on a big flat screen. And it costs like, you know, depending on who's whose streaming site it is, four or five, six bucks. It's like I'm sure come see my life's work in all 300 movies and about another 700 that we've licensed for $6. It's, it's like, okay. Um, so, so that's our home and, and, you know, fans who support it, you know, I mean, we don't need to be Netflix. We can be zero 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 point one percent of Netflix, but if we get enough fans on the next year or two, uh, who uh, sign up and they become subscribers for six bucks a month, six ninety nine, then, um, you know, we can get back to the quality, uh, you know, in terms of budget, and, and uh, we can be more prolific, we can get back to making a movie a month. I mean, there's so many great, talented filmmakers out there. But back in the good old video days, you know, you made enough money on the on those deals to make your next movie. You know, now it's it doesn't work that way. Now you hope that you make something and more people subscribe, and then you have, you know, a bigger base of subscribers. And then at some point, you have enough money to Get back into making a lot of movies. It's sort of our our, our new uh, home. So, yeah, I always yeah. tell people, you know, support us and support other. There are not that many out there. I mean, you know, there's the big guys, and yeah, sure, Disney's got 8 trillion subscribers and a few short months. Yeah. But, you know, we're making some pretty cool things, and all the movies we've talked about are all up on Foldlandfeatures.com. Definitely. And if you sign up, uh, you know, you can watch uh, this weird movie, Corona Zombies. There's some really funny stuff in it. So, I think people will, uh, once they, 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 they start watching it, they'll see that we have some fun making it.
2: Absolutely. And that will be out uh, April 10th, correct?
0: April 10th. Yeah, it'll be. <laughs> we, what's nice is we're we have we, we're releasing it, you know, in several languages. It's going to be in, you know, Spanish subtitles as well. So, and you know, we have a lot of fans in, in Latin America and uh, in, in Europe. So, yeah, this site is available everywhere. And it's on, you know, it's on Apple. It's an app or, you know, you can get it on Android or, you just go to apple tv or go just go online roku you know we got it everywhere so it's real easy and real real cool and um yeah there's tons and tons and tons of movies plus i was lucky enough to be able to acquire or license movies from a lot of other filmmakers i've followed over the years so even though we have almost all of our movies up there's hundreds and hundreds more from other you know genre filmmakers
2: awesome well to all the horror fans that are listening out there support full moon support independent horror make sure you check out corona zombies and uh, corona
0: zombies That's so yes. ridiculous <laughs> That's Absolutely. Insane. it makes me think what are we doing but <laughs> look stay healthy everyone listening to this you know hunker down you know i i was um i grew up in italy i have friends there so i was talking to friends in italy before we kind of got wise here and People running the show, sort of the penny drop, but it, it, it's the same pattern. And, you know, the more you stay in and be careful and stay isolated, and, uh, even though it's kind of weird, it's, it's weird after weeks going, the fuck, get me out of here. But, you know, that's the only way this thing doesn't spread. So uh, just you know, stay healthy. That's all I can say. Stay healthy because things will turn around.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we, we thank you so much, Charles. Uh, sure. Again for coming on tonight, it was it was an absolute pleasure, and I hope thank we you. will uh, we'll see you at a convention or something sometime soon when oh, all, this, sure. uh, yeah.
0: all this yeah settles I'll be, down. I'll be a, but uh, we, we we were going to a lot of conventions. I'll be at whatever opens up next. I'll be there. I may be wearing a hazmat suit, but I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Th- all uh, right thanks, guys. Charles. Take care.
1: I think that's the, and I guess the thing that's the most scary is death, right? Yeah. And I guess that's what horror represents to us,
0: really. And, and Stephen King said that horror stories are a way for us to rehearse, have rehearsals for our own death.